Hello, this is Dr. Shiva. Welcome to our podcast, Get Educated or Be Enslaved. Episode 1113, air date September 23rd, 2022. Hello and welcome. You're watching the Policy Times, world's first policy and business media. We at Policy Times, what we do, we invite experts from different parts of the world and we try to understand their perspective as to what is the right model of bringing development. And today we have an expert from the United States who, who doesn't need any introduction, Dr. Shiva Aydarai, who is uh, an Indian-American engineer settled in US and also has four degrees, one PhD from MIT, also a scientist uh, and, and his PhD is, is in biological engineering. He has been on news and is also one of the innovators of email. Uh, for which uh, he is very uh, known for. But more than that, he has been also working in developing education as well as healthcare models to educate people about the future of education, also about the future of healthcare and how we can, without using vaccines or other typical uh, solutions, we can go by the Indian origin, uh, basic uh, medical or healthcare uh, you know, systems to provide solution to the whole world. So Dr. Shiva, welcome to our show and thank you so much for joining us. Good to be here. How are you? Very well doing. Uh, Dr. Shiva, the first question, India has released, uh, the world has, UNDP has released the uh, Human Development Index, HDI, where India ranks 131 out of 188 countries. Also, we also have the SDG Index, which is the Sustainable Development Goal Index, which ranks India at around 122 out of 193 countries. How do you see India's uh, global ranking on different parameters, uh, Dr. Shiva? Well, first of all, you know, one of the key words, you know, is about innovation. And um, innovation is ultimately what transforms societies. You know, you said that, you know, you remarked about my work on email. It's really, really important, I would say, why doesn't not every Indian know who the inventor of email is? You have to ask this fundamental question. Why is it that not one Indian scientist ever won a, a, a Nobel Prize after independence? It's a very important question. Uh, a young child growing up in India, what is their you know, example of an innovator? Do they even have a mind? They typically think of Einstein or they think of Thomas Alva Edison. But why is that stamp of that 14-year-old boy who invented email not imprinted on every Indian? When the facts are so obvious, I did it as a 14-year-old kid before I came to MIT as an immigrant. When I came from the United uh, from India, seven years after I'd landed, I worked at a medical school, converted the entire system of the inner office paper-based mail system into the electronic version. No one had done it, named it email, have the first US copyright. And the fact that no Indian knows about that says pretty much everything about development to me. And that's where the story has to start because an American child growing up and you know all these rankings, America's rated way up there, grows up knowing, oh, Thomas Alva Edison, right? They grow up you know, thinking only white people invent anything. This is very, very important. Um, just in 2015, Walter Isaacson, who wrote the book on 
uh, Steve Jobs, in the middle of when my stuff went into the Smithsonian, clearly documenting that I invented email, which I did not speak because Indians are always brought up to be humble, even though they've in invented great things. Because of British colonialism, the integrity of Indian innovation was destroyed. And it's very, very important. So when my stuff went to the Smithsonian, Walter Isaacson writes a book called The Innovators of the Digital Revolution. Don't you think email is part of the digital revolution? Absolutely. My, my uh, materials had gone to the Smithsonian in 2011, the, which is a very prestigious event where the, where the government of the United States wanted all my materials for the work I'd done in 1978. And the day that it went in, uh, a young Washington Post reporter wrote an article saying, uh, V.A. Shiva Ayodhuri honored as the inventor of email. This should have been a great occasion for celebration, not only in America, but for all Indian Americans. Instead, reports came out calling me all sorts of horrible names, a fraud, an asshole, a dick. This curry-stained Indian should be beaten and hanged. Think about that. That's shocking. But not one Indian stood up. And this gets down to the development issue. It gets down to this fundamental development issue, you know, up until even as late as the 1850s, the British were stealing in Indian shipbuilding blueprints. India has a rich history of innovation. Why do you think uh, all these countries in 1600s came to India? Because of this richness of this country, which was innovating, developing. You want to put an HDI index in 1600s, India would probably be number one. 25% of the world GDP was Indian. So India has actually been brutalized in many, many ways. And we don't want to get into those politics yet, but the point is it comes down to innovation. So when the story of the invention of email went into the Smithsonian, I was being attacked. All my four degrees, all my honors. When I was at MIT, I invented many things what was on the front page. But the fact that the invention of email took place before I came to MIT as a 14-year-old boy, by an Indian-American immigrant, I was still an Indian citizen at the time. I just landed in India in 1970. 1978, the invention of email took place. My parents weren't like Bill Gates's parents, who were lawyers and PR specialists, so we never promoted it. But when the invention of email took place, what's important is it didn't occur at MIT. It didn't occur at Harvard. It didn't occur at Silicon Valley. It occurred in a small medical school in the heart of Newark, New Jersey, which is one of the poorest cities in the United States. And it didn't occur because of big military, big industry, right? And big academia. This is nonsense where innovation occurs. And I can, we'll go into when I talk about CSIR, it occurred in a very different triangle. It occurred in the triangle of a loving family. It occurred in the triangle of a mentor and some infrastructure I was given access to. And I was a very smart kid and I worked my butt off. But that's where innovation occurs. So all these people in India building these innovation centers, very little will come out of that investment. So that innovation took place before I came to MIT. After hey. MIT, I, yes, I invented many things. So, but the, the truth of that development is something where Amrita Sen and all these people don't have any idea. It's all theory to them. But I can tell you as an inventor, that development is going to come bottoms up. The invention of TV took place by a 14-year-old boy called um, Philo Farnsworth. It took 60 years for him to get credit. The reality is we've all been 
confused to think all great innovation comes from the center. You see, like it's genetically engineered innovation. The truth is innovation is in everyone's DNA. Innovation can occur anytime, anyplace by anybody. So first thing I would say from a policy standpoint to every policymaker listening to this, and this is not about me, every Indian should know who invented email and where it took place under what circumstances, and that would lead into real policy. You see, the American model of innovation, India should not be following because it frankly doesn't work here anyway. The model is you create, you take a bunch of money through pension funds, which are called venture capitalists, or through private equity, and you dump it into centers. Oh, we're going to dump it over near MIT, Kendall Square, or Silicon Valley. And then you create an ecosystem of innovation. The reality is Peter Thiel, you know, wrote a book called From Zero to One. And you'll read that we're not really innovating anymore. Facebook is not an innovation. I'm sorry, it isn't. Twitter is not an innovation. These are not innovations. We have not, over the last 100 years, made any great innovation in the world, frankly. What's happened is we've recirculated stuff. It's incremental stuff. Flipkart just sort of looks at what someone else did and redoes. That's not innovation. There's not been any significant, massive, fundamental things. You know, we'll talk about some of the stuff we're working on. So the, this, it is ultimately innovation which drives development. The U.S., because of a $22, $23 trillion economy, has enough capital to create accidental innovations, right? So they'll take a bunch of money, put it into one concentrated area, the MIT area, and, you know, they'll put, you know, the VC model is you have a, let's say, $10 billion fund. You put $10 million into 100 companies and one Google comes and you say, oh, didn't we do great? But imagine that same $10 billion, $5,000 being spread out into small communities. The invention of email, I was paid zero in year one, zero in year two. I was given free lunch when I was a kid. And then the third year, I was given $1.25 per hour. The invention of email took place in under $5,000. So this is something what people need to understand. So when you ask this question about these ratings, India's got 1.3 billion people, incredibly smart people, and I've worked with these people. But those smart people are in a yoke of a, a cultural yoke of looking over to the West and thinking someone else, a white guy is the only one who can innovate. And I want to make this very specific because if I were to show you Walter Isaacson's book and everyone should open up the book, when the quote unquote manufactured email controversy was taking place, a very racist controversy, because if I had blonde hair, blue eyed, and my last name probably was a potentially Jewish name. I don't, you know, a lot of Jewish friends, and I'd be on every stamp. The facts are so obvious. There's not even a gray area. Wikipedia had to create a gray area, and it is racially motivated. It's not nothing against white people. But the truth is, go look at Walter Isaacson's book, who's your liberal, quote unquote liberal, and he writes about the digital revolution in the middle of when, between 2012 is when my stuff went to the Smithsonian, and right in the middle of it, it's almost someone commissioned him to write a book. And he and all the pages are, he says, all great innovations from a development standpoint come from big military, big academia, and big corporations. He calls it the golden triangle of the military industrial academic complex. And every person he points out who contributed something are all white people. 
including a white woman. There's no dark people in his book. So if you are an Indian child, if you're an Indian growing up in this cultural milieu, that you always think someone else can only innovate, not you, you don't have any iconic symbols. That picture of that 14-year-old dark-skinned Indian boy invented email is a very important symbol. And it should be everywhere. So that's one point I want to make. And it's very personal because you're looking at the guy who did invent email and who hasn't died, so they can't screw up the history. Absolutely. It's a very important policy question. And why are Indians so afraid? Oh, I don't know if he invented email. I think that guy over there with the white guy with the glasses with the beard did it because the military industrial complex said it. So even though when the facts are so obvious and this brainwashing is why India's HDI went down. Because Absolutely. as the world grows, people are on social media. The It all starts with the mind. I mean, the in, Indians have talked about the mind for thousands of years, right? Thought precedes action, what, what we see. So that's a very, very important point that we want to start at. The development is directly linked to innovation. So when you look at indexes go down, you have to look at, hey, what's going on with innovation? Modi just did his big thing on innovation, you know? He did, he did you know, a couple of months ago, right? I think last month. Exactly. So, uh, Shiva, I, I want to come in here and want, also want to convey to my friends in India that, you know, we often celebrate the success stories like Kamal Sen winning Nobel Prize in economics, but we often fail to celebrate a lot of innovations, but did not get that highlight in the market. Well, and Amrita Sen, yeah. well, if you look at Amrita Sen, and if you look at um, another uh, important professor, forget his name right now, uh, it'll come to me who won the Nobel Prize in Medicine. Yeah. You know who I'm talking about, right? What's his name? We'll come to his name. But um, that gentleman who came to MIT, he wasn't even able to get a job as a lecturer in India. Okay? So yeah. after independence, men, many of these people had to leave India, like my parents, to even get properly treated. The Indian bureaucratic system of science, which I was a part of, I was... Now, you know, I was appointed by the Prime Minister of India in 2009 to run the innovation uh, aspect of all of CSIR. I saw amazing people in India, very smart engineers, but the yoke of Indian feudalism, which was left over by the British. So you have a nep nepotism system. So real people from India can't come up because of jealousy and all this nonsense. So many of those people have to come to the United States. And then they would Amrita Sen have won a Nobel Prize in India? I doubt it. Would he have been recognized? I doubt it. So you have this colonialist sense in Indians because India never really had a good independence revolution in many ways. You know, it didn't have that opportunity to have a good nationalist movement, which would have been necessary. You know, Modi is attempting to bring some of that back. Some of that is progressive nationalism. Some of it's cultural nationalism, which I don't support, right? But until that happens, the development numbers will be very, very low. It ultimately comes back to a set of population of people having some sense of who they are. But if who they are is connected to after you leave India, and then Amrita Sen goes to Harvard, and then he tells the Indians back, this is how it is, then they believe him. This is not how things are going to work. You know, you, you're always going to be a slave to thought 
and thought precedes action. So your development is going to always be off. So this is sort of, I'm going to sort of to the quantum level of the issue here, instead of talking about all, you know, sort of other stuff, which I'm sure you can get from other people. I, I wanted to share this because the invention of email, simply put, every Indian should be aware of and should have no questions that it was created by an Indian because that's going to set in their child's mind, oh, there are Indians. Oh, an Indian invented email, like a white guy invented a light bulb. It's not a racist issue. It's a fundamentally mental issue. Programming takes place at a very, very young age. So I think that's where development starts. Development starts with innovation and innovation is in everyone's DNA. And you know, when I was at CSIR, the goal was they wanted to start innovation hubs. It's a screwed up model. The Silicon Valley model and the MIT model are frankly only working because of the amount of wasteful capital that they pump into it. India doesn't have that enormous amount of capital, right? India is a $3 trillion economy. US, is US can throw money places and then you get one Google and you say, oh, aren't we great innovators? India's got to take a much more bottoms up model. And that's the only way you're going to move up in these so-called rankings, you know? Amazing. So, Dr. Shiva, now what can be the Indian version of uh, innovation model that we can uh, integrate here under your system science, uh, you know, through your system science approach? Yeah. So, you know, when I was at CSIR, after I'd been recruited, I laid out within one month, I laid out a whole innovation model. And I think some of those are now being finally starting to be taken up, but it was not a model of just top down putting up money. You know, I have a book called Seven Secrets of Innovation. We teach kids, young kids. I sponsor every year, you know, four to eight kids to small foundation. We find kids between the age of 14 through 18. I believe that's the best age where innovation actually takes place because you don't think anything's impossible. Okay. Um, but the model is the following. Innovation is frankly all about trial and error. It's about throwing a bunch of, it's literally taking a bunch of seeds and you throw it out and it's like a weed comes up. Okay. That's real innovation. So the model that we have is that you look, you give people the opportunity to make mistakes. So if someone has an idea, the first criteria is have they built it? It doesn't have to be perfect to prototype. And do they have at least one customer? Okay. Remember invention is making something, just keeping it in your home. Innovation is where you get it out to customers and then you scale. That's a difference, right? That's innovation. So the model should be, we need to put small amounts of funding, very little funding, all over India, where you're identifying young people, older people, whoever they are, coming up with an idea and a customer. And that should be funded. So in the CSIR model, if we found that, we would give you around you know, 25 lakhs. And the idea was with that money, your goal was now to get feedback from that customer to improve your product. And whether the customer hated you or not, it's fine. In fact, the worst customers who complain are the best customers because they're going to help you imp improve your product. If you got to that standpoint, the next money we would give you is, I believe it was, um, I think another million bucks. Okay. And with that money, you wanted to the goal was you would scale it to get 20 to 30 customers. Now you have to go from the idea of having a product that's working to scaling it, which means you have to learn sales and marketing. 
customer service. After you do that, then you write your business plan. Okay. The Harvard Business School model is completely screwed up. 90% of people go to Harvard have never started a business. They come and run a business. Okay. They come and, you know, run a business after it's nicely working. And then they claim they've done something with it. But that's a Harvard B School model. Okay. But real entrepreneurs, you go get a customer, you have to work through all the failings, phase one. Then you get more customers knowing that your product isn't perfect, but you learn how to sell. Then you write your business plan. Okay, I've learned all this. I know what customer service takes. I know the cost of goods. I know the cost of sales. Then you can write a real business plan. And then you should get funded. You see, so that's the model of Indian innovation that'll work because you're not spending, you're not just putting a lot of money into one guy who happened to know this guy and that guy and this guy and this guy, and you came to the right conference and he sucked up to everyone and then you get him, right? The real model is at the very young age when people at the high school level, even at the college level, or even post-college are starting to show that they want to be entrepreneurs, have funding, small amounts of funding. And that is a much better model than creating these centers of innovation. There could be some guy in some village in Jharkhand, right? Who's solving some very particular problem for the Indian environment. Because ultimately innovation is solving a problem for an unmet need, right? That needs to be addressed. That's what innovation is. And so now you have lots and lots of innovations occurring that can be supported. And then you set up an ecosystem that you have mentors that you can fund it, build it, et cetera. And I think that's really fundamentally an Indian way of doing things rather than creating these big innovation hubs then you pummel it. And it goes back to the story of the invention of email. We didn't take millions of dollars. It occurred in a small environment. We solved the problem, which was secretaries were using paper with the inbox, outbox folders. And it was about them going from the typewriter to the keyboard. You see, it's about solving problems. And India has many, many diverse dimensions of problems across language, across you know, uh, you know, different socioeconomic situations across urban, right, semi-urban, et cetera. So India has a huge opportunity to solve many problems, to create many different kinds of innovations. I mean, versus this top-down innovation model, you know? And I think that's the future of development. And so culturally, it'll fit into India more, and India will, will have explosive growth, and it goes back to India's traditions. So when you ask about, even if you look at the area of healthcare, Pharmaceutical companies over the last 10 years have been losing revenue. People don't want to talk about this. Pfizer, go look at their revenue about five, seven years ago. And to 2020, their revenue, they lost $25 billion in revenue. Anyone can just go look it up. At one point, about I think seven years ago, they were making $65 billion in revenue. And 2020, their revenue had dropped to $40 billion. They'd lost $25 billion in revenue. So just think about what I'm saying. Then you have the quote unquote mm-hmm. pandemic comes and in 2021, Pfizer's revenue goes up to 80 billion. This was a failing company. I mean, it's quite coincidental. We're not gonna get into any of the theories about this, but their revenue goes from 45 billion to 80 billion vaccines saved Pfizer from demise because the entire pharmaceutical model of development was falling apart. That pharmaceutical model is you take a single synthetic compound, you spend 15 years 
trying to find a target in the body, you do in vitro testing, you, then you kill a bunch of animals and you do seven, nine years of clinical testing. Every pharmaceutical person knows the entire pharmaceutical model is broken. The only reason they survived was because of the pandemic. Now you look at the ancient systems of Indian medicine, which were based on combinations of herbs and compounds because they understood the body as a system. And it wasn't just giving someone a synthetic drug. It was understanding your body was different than my body. It's, today, the NIH calls this precision and personalized medicine. Precision and personalized medicine was embodied in the system of Siddha and Ayurveda for the last five, 10,000 years. Even if two people had diabetes, this person got a very different treatment than this person based on their body type, okay? So you see this concept of personalized precision medicine was always in the, in the Indian innovation model of Indian medicine. But India decided, oh, we need to give everyone the same drug. This is a Western dysfunctional model. And, and even Westerner medical system knows this model of healthcare is failing because they're using a Gaussian distribution, right? I mean, if you come from a different racial background, if you come from a different uh, uh, work background, your epigenetics, you may need very different combinations. You may not even need drugs, you may need diet, okay? So I would really say that India is sitting on a huge opportunity. If, it, if every Indian decides to have some sense of self-respect, some sense of accountability and some, some, some sense of true nationalism. Amazing. And that's where this needs to start because what, what we have done is anyone who talked about Ayurveda and said that, I think people were like the government policymakers actually censoring them when instead of embracing this opportunity where you could have had many different Indian medicines coming out to support the the functioning of the immune system. You see, because, you know, I gave a talk at the National Science Foundation um, in 2019. I was, it was an invited prestige lecture and I gave a whole new theory of the immune system. The, the theory of the immune system that is used for the basis of modern vaccines is based on a two box model, which basically says that you get a disease, you know, a virus comes to you and that the virus will ultimately result in your body creating antibodies. And the goal of a vaccine is to accelerate the creation of those antibodies. So instead of you getting natural immunity, we're gonna give you some of the toxin, right? Or the bacteria virus, and your body will create the antibodies. Well, that was based on a 1915 Akram model of the immune system. Over the last 50 years, the immune system is far more complex. We have the gut, the microbiome, which was never included. We have the interferon system, the brain. We have a whole gut-brain axis. Now, the Indians knew about this. This is why in many traditional systems of medicine, you ate fermented foods. You ate yogurt after a meal, okay? They knew the value of the gut. The gut is central to the immune system. All of this is left out of the immune system, at least in that understanding of the vaccination model. So this yields to a very different way of, quote-unquote, building people's immune health. And the Indian systems have met a lot to offer on this. And so India has a huge opportunity right now for healthcare. It is because it comes from a culture of personalized and precision medicine. It comes from a culture of seeing the body as a system. But if we blindly in the area of innovation and healthcare, 
just copy, cut, and paste, you know, so, that HDI uh, index is going to fall, fall down even more, I would okay. say. Well, well, we started with HDI, but you have given an outstanding perspective about building a model uh, in a complex country like India. So in the complexity, you found uh, immense opportunity. Now, my final question to you in terms of also your message to uh, Indian policymakers as well as Indian stakeholders, what can you offer to India's complex challenges that, that you see as an opportunity? Well, the big opportunity, the big solution, I'll offer you the solution, okay? The solution is to train every Indian when they graduate, when they're going through college in what I call the science of systems. It is the science of systems that is actually in the foundation of the Indian psyche. It is in the principles of yoga. It is in the principles of Ayurveda and Siddha, the science of systems. And I can just share with you a quick diagram here that may help really understand this. Let me bring it up here. Um, okay. So I'm going to share with you a diagram here that will really, really help uh, realize uh, what I'm talking about here. Let me, I think I have it here. Let me share my desktop here. If I go here, can you see the Sakram? Uh, I can see your desktop, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Let me stop here. I want to share this desktop over here. Okay. So if you see this Akram right here, okay? I see so, so there's a website. One of the latest innovations we have is called Truth Freedom Health. It says a man who invented email now delivers a truth freedom health system to make you street smart so you may see things as they truly are. Beyond left versus right, pro versus anti, to improve every aspect of your life. So what am I talking about here? So... If you look at the world right now, and by the way, we have over 360,000 users on the system in 95 countries, Akram. Um, if you look at the fundamental issue right here, today there's lots and lots of information out there. You know, an Indian child in a village can, ac can access to billions of videos, right? Lots and lots of things. And you would think in the middle of all of this knowledge that we would have more people more wiser, right, healthier, happier. But the reality is the world is actually heading into more complacency, more division, and more desperation. Absolutely. And, and these, these are by the who, by the way, the statistics. You have close to 350 million people who are anxious, 350, 100, sorry, 350 million people, 300 million people are clinically depressed. 51% of the world's children feel hopeless. 25% of the world population wants to overthrow their governments now. Okay. 2.5 billion people are obese. And Indians' obesity rates are going to hit close to 300 million alone. Yeah. So you have more and more people in the midst of all this information not getting access to uh, wisdom, truth, freedom, or health. And the reason is because we th those forces, which India should not be replicating, of power, profit, and control, essentially breed what I call in this pyramid ignorance which is ignorance is really not seeing the whole. You know, it's in, Buddha has a very famous story of the six blind men who a king brings in to touch the elephant. And each one thinks the elephant is something. The guy who touches a tusk thinks it's a spear, the tail, he thinks it's a brush and so on. That's ignorance where you don't see the whole. So when you have access to so much information, but you don't know how to think, you're thinking in a very unidimensional way. You get illusion, you get confused, then you get divided. You're left versus right, 
Hindu versus Muslim, you get desperate, you get complacent. And I believe those in power want people to be divided. This is not a good society. The alternative, so people get divided, complacent. The alternative is this, knowledge. Knowledge is actually seeing the whole. Let me zoom in a little bit, okay? Oops, let me go here. So knowledge is a very different approach. Knowledge is different than ignorance because knowledge actually is a science of systems where you get to see the whole. This is the foundations of Siddha and Ayurveda and yoga. It's a way of thinking. Then you get to wisdom. Then you get to clarity. You get innovative. You get organized and you get active, right? You become a free human being. So what we've done is just like the invention of email, in, email was a whole system. Truth, freedom, and health is actually a framework, a system. It involves the course. So I've taken the 50 years of MIT knowledge or whatever, all those training, you know, in three hours, any student can learn system science. So you don't have to go to 20 years of MIT engineering systems training. You get all the tools. You get to start seeing, so to give you an idea, this course, I used to teach at MIT, okay? The science of systems. You then get access to the books. You get access to training. You get access to a tool where you don't have to go to a village to have an Ayurvedic doctor. You yourself can understand self-care, how your body is a system. So, and so on. So what I'm saying is we've created a capability now where any individual can start to think from a whole system standpoint. So you look at a problem, you're not going to be saying, oh, I'm supporting Congress today. I'm supporting BJP tomorrow. Policymakers need to be able to see the real problem and what the real solution is. So policymakers, you know, people who you address have to learn the science of systems. If they're not learning the science of systems today and the United States, you know, the people that they educate learn the science of systems. Our Indian policymakers, and for that matter, most of the United States people do not learn the science of systems. This is why there's so much division now in the US. Every issue is divided left versus right, pro versus anti. And in India, if the policymakers, we, we created the tool, we, we're, we're making this accessible to every human being in the world. We've made, we, we, we used to give it away for free. No one wanted to do it. If I want to charge $10,000, no one can afford it. So we, we said, you know, we're, we're going to charge like $100 contribution and you get access to everything, books, tools, community, et cetera. So it's a global solution we've created. Every policymaker should go through this because they will be able to look at a situation, apply the science of systems and figure out, hey, this is a real problem and here's a real solution. That's what's really the future. If the future is, is learning how to think, not what to think. Absolutely, outstanding. You know, that's what, uh, you know, sitting and interviewing one of the most intelligent minds of the world uh, teaches you at the end of the discussion. So it, it was more like an interaction than interview. And we heard, Dr. Shiva Edurai, one of the most intelligent minds of modern times, who innovated email, unfortunately, and disputably, it's not uh, so well documented, but yes, he is from the Indian origin, did that. Now he has another solution of taking India, exploring the opportunities that is there in the complex structure. So uh, thank you so much, Dr. Shiva. We will interact with you more. And we will then break it up to you know address different perspectives, whether it is uh, in terms of education or in the healthcare, because healthcare in India, Indian healthcare will be emerging as one of the most also complex and, and huge sector. And Indian healthcare will be offering solutions globally, and it has the potential. Maybe your 
you know experience and your theory would bring far more innovation in the, in the indian healthcare system and and i also invite you to our uh, this conference uh, bengal healthcare summit where we will also be interacting with indian indian healthcare experts as to what we can learn from indian scientists sitting in us having experience of both western as well as indian uh, origin uh, medicine so thank you keep watching the policy times Thank you.